your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we are really excited to be here. This is the dawn of a new era at Locked On Women's Basketball. We are going daily, and that starts tonight with a really important night in the WNBA, the 2022 WNBA Draft. Jackie Powell is here, of course. Jonathan Kolb, Sandy Brandello, welcome to you both. Thank you for helping us to inaugurate the program. Happy to be here. Thank you. I'm really hyped up after the intro, by the way. It's hard not to be, right? I always end up dancing to it. So I want to talk about this draft, and the place I want to start is with that fifth overall pick and Niara Savali. And so my first question is just locking in on her. A a lot of people thought that she had potentially the most upside in the draft. I know it's sort of a cliche to talk about, you know, this player was high on my draft boards, but I'm curious, just Jonathan, for you, where was she on your draft board and how excited were you when it fell this way? Yeah. So for us, I mean, I, I also speak in cliches, but I think her ceiling is incredibly high. Um, she's somebody that if she were healthy all year, uh, I think we'd be talking about even higher than where she was selected in this draft. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us to have the opportunity to select her, uh, is really special. I think, um, her skill set and really the combination of skills is really rare, uh, to be able to move as quickly, uh, and as agile as she can at that size, but still have that explosiveness and ability to punish defenders at the rim, I think is, um, it's unique. And so whenever you have the opportunity to select a player of that caliber, um, especially at the fifth pick, uh, you have to look really hard at it. And that's what we did. And uh, we're, we're incredibly happy uh, that she was there for us. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really curious about when it comes to Sabali, how much of a concern it is, you know, that she has that knee that she's injured a yeah. couple of times. Yeah. We've done a lot of, uh, homework on, on Yara's mm-hmm. health. Um, we're comfortable with where she's at. I think this is a pick for the future. This is somebody that we're going to work with, uh, to get her body right. And this is something where I think you've seen, uh, we really key in on patience and we really key in on development. I think Jocelyn Willoughby is somebody that's an example of patience. Um, and then I think you can see the development in people like Dee Richards, development in Michaela Niwede, people like that. Um, I think you should look at this pick like that, where when she plays, um, I think we're going to be really excited about her. And I think fans will be for a really long time. And so we don't want to be short-sighted when you're picking this high in the draft. We want to think long-term. Sandy, we've known each other a long time, and I know something that you've always emphasized is how much and how important it is for your bigs to be passing. So when I saw that Lorella Kabai was coming to you, that was the first thing I thought of. I think she was north of four assists per game. You know, how exciting is it to see a player, a big, who comes in ready-made with that skill? It's pretty rare, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you can definitely say that. And, and that's, you know, that's one thing. I think the staff, um, you know, all of our staff has done a lot of great work. And this is a player that we, you know, if Sabley wasn't there or someone else we liked it, we're considering in that first round. Mm-hmm. And so we followed her. We like her relentlessness on defense. We really like that part. But her ability to facilitate, you know, that that's kind of rare. And we think, 
you know, she's going to keep developing on her offensive skills, but having a, having a post player that can set great screens and make the right passes for easy baskets to get, well, you know, get our shooters open. I think, um, you know, it, like I said, just, we're just super excited for, you know, how we've ended this draft tonight. And I also, so Sandy, I want to bounce off of that question and talking about both Niara and uh, Lorella in, in that, what type of people are you all getting with these two picks? I mean, we spoke to Niara on the, the draft Zoom and she talked about her immediate connection with you. Yeah, look, that, and that's uh, key for me. I really enjoy obviously getting to, to know these players one-on-one because bringing in the right player really does matter. Um, to us, but everyone I interviewed was just fantastic. It was really was a great draft class, but, um, yeah, that connection's important. I want them to feel comfortable. Um, you know, our goal here is to make them the best player that we can possibly be. And, um, yeah, we did have a really good connection. Uh, you know, I spoke a little bit of German. I'm not great at it, but, uh, you know, we got some, you know, things that we have in common there, but just excited, like I said, just to, to, to work with a player of her caliber. And we, we, we do. We just think she has so much upside. And, you know, we're going to have patience with it, too, because we know if she can be healthy, I mean, she would have been a top three pick, without a doubt. Um, but, yeah, no, so it's good. Like, uh, yeah, look forward to, to getting to know her more now. Sandy, she described you as super cool. So I don't know if that was about getting more playing time or what, but that was, that, you know, just, that was her, her exact phrase. The Australian thing, Howard. I don't know. I am super cool. What are you talking about? I, I, I'm just, I'm here to report. That's all. That's all. Oh, okay. Good. So, good. Hey, that's good feedback. I wonder if all the others thought that. <laughs> so I, I, I am curious in terms of her, your ability to bring her along a little slower. And, and Jonathan, I, I think you can speak to this really well that, the team is at a different stage in terms of its roster development, in terms of what you guys are looking to do, whether it's the win now portion of it or the fact that there are some players who you have uh, addressed other holes with. Do you see her as someone who is filling more of uh, Steph Dolson's uh, time on the floor when Steph is off? Is it something where you're looking at her as a, a Natasha Howard understudy? You know, how, did, how does she kind of fit in that way when you think about your roster as a whole? Are you talking about, was I, this for me? I'm sorry. I am, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. So for me, I think um, she's kind of one of her own, I just want to mm-hmm. kind of say, and not as a cop-out answer, but I think um, when she plays and when she's healthy that, that Sandy will find the spot for her. I think she's somebody that over the long term we, we hope will fill in um, as a starter for us mm-hmm. down the line. Um, but I think really learning – from the Steph Dolsons, learning from Natasha Howard. Um, that's something that will be in practice and things like that. But I think on the floor over time, we hope that she could be uh, part of our core group um, and part of a really winning team, uh, you know, down the line. So I think that's how we look at it. I'm also curious to know uh, about the the third round pick in, in Sika Kone. I mean, what was behind that pick? What did you like about her? And should we expect her to come over this year? Yeah, I can start and then Sandy, if you want to follow up. No, no, we won't be bringing Sika Kone over this year. Um, she's somebody that uh, we think has a lot of upside. I uh, think you saw how well she played recently, uh, especially against France. And that's somebody that will keep overseas for a little bit of time and let her continue to grow. Um, I think that's kind of been our MO of late in these drafts, especially later in the draft. Um, 
uh, you saw us take uh, the other Marine last year. And so I think that's something we, we value and just seeing the upside of these players um, while, you know, roster spots are tight. And so having the ability to have players grow from afar can only help down the line. So um, I do want to touch on her as a person as well. Uh, we talked about the other two um, draft picks and their, their personalities. Uh, Sika is somebody who her, you can hear her, her smile over the phone. Um, she's somebody that uh, is just a bright light and, and we're, you know, adding another great person to the family over here. And Sandy, just for you, you know, this being your first draft in a different organization, I'm just wondering, you know, what stuck out to you? What was, what was new? What was different uh, this time around uh, in the experience for you? Uh, to be quite honest, I suppose it's just preparation. It's not just about um, Jonathan and myself doing all the research. You know, we have Dustin Gray. We have Ben Dull. We have, you know, Ohima. We have so many people really with eyes on these players for the whole, you know, for the whole six months and years before. I mean, they're tracking them. So it's, I feel like it's not, you know, we're making a really um, accurate decision about what we think is the best player that could actually help us to be to reach our full potential as well as you know we talk about culture here and 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 that's it we want to ha- develop a winning culture and sustainable success and we feel like all three of these players can um you know and so that's why I said it is t- my first year with the New York and and things are, are going pretty well and now just really yeah looking forward to training camp and, and getting to work well we are delighted to have the opportunity to cover you in market. Uh, Alex Simon says hello, of course, uh, our Phoenix Mercury reporter at the Nets who previously covered you there. But uh, really appreciate you both taking the time on what was a busy night uh, for you both uh, and wishing you all the best. We'll certainly be in conversation with you soon. Yeah, appreciate it. You got it. Thank you. Thank you. See you soon. See you soon. Well, that was really interesting. And I, I, I just think this is going to be – a fascinating chapter in New York Liberty history. I, Jackie, you know, as we move beyond that, um, and in a minute we're going to bring in the great Isabel Rodriguez making her debut uh, on this show to be able to talk about what it was like to be in the room since Isabel, unlike the two of us, uh, did not <laughs> try COVID at Minneapolis. But nonetheless, you know, what did you think of their draft, just as, you know, from the perspective of uh, being our New York Liberty reporter? I think the Liberty addressed their needs in the present and the future. And they checked off a lot of boxes that they like to check off. And so let's go through them. So obviously they needed um, help in the post. Uh, I do. I was in touch with a source over there who mm-hmm. did say that they did like Emily Angler, but they did not have the opportunity to pick her. Mm-hmm. But what we know about New York is they needed some help in the post. And Niara Saboli is not your typical post player. She's more versatile, and New York loves its versatile post players. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone who can stretch the floor, someone who's a little bit quicker on their feet, really good basketball IQ, and, and that's Niara Saboli. Do you, can I just ask about that real quick? Because do you expect them to play a five out the way they did? Do you expect them to play more four out? Sandy was really, uh, it was interesting how flexible she was in her intro press conference. I thought about, uh, playing more pick and roll, which, you know, again, you know, plays to a uh, Sabrina Inescu's, uh, strengths. So I imagine that they will play five out, but they're not going to play the type where you have 
fours at the five mm-hmm. and threes at the four. I mean, in the middle of the game, they could do that depending on matchups, but mm-hmm. they're not going to start that way. Walt was, Walt Hopkins was very bullish on how he, how he started games and that he, he played smaller to start. I don't think Sandy will do that, but I think she will leave the door open if, let's say, they want to get some more shooters on the floor. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, sub Rebecca Allen in and leave Natasha Howard in with her. That's an option. But is that how they start the game? I, I'd i be very surprised. So, and I want to bring in Isabel uh, in a minute, too, here. But just when you look at what was necessary for this team to compete, we now have mm-hmm. – essentially a full sense of what they did in free agency, what they've done in the draft. I know you can have a piece uh, that, you know, obviously go to the next always read Jackie Powell everywhere she is. She's a Bleacher Report. She's, she's written in slams as SI, you name it. Obviously, always there's a reason I set the Jackie Powell along because you should always read her. But, you know, from this perspective, this piece coming, like, are you, are you calling this, the Liberty getting from 12 wins last year to where they needed to be or the, as much as they could be in this offseason? I think they are setting themselves up to be a playoff team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's where I think they're going here. And I think you need depth inside and outside. And there clearly was not enough depth or size inside. Mm-hmm. That's what they've addressed, and with uh, the trade that they made with the Seattle Storm to get Lorella Kubai, it also checked off other boxes they have, mm. which is they like versatile bigs who can pass. They like players who play defense and play defense hard, and she checks off that box. Mm-hmm. So before, Isabel, we come to you, I am just going to – very briefly, pay some bills, and then we will get into what it was like to be live inside that room. Uh, first place we're going to start is with Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, lead reviews, and news, including this year's huh basketball playoffs. Well. I will also tell you that they have WNBA odds, and they had NCAA women's basketball odds. And that is important, whether you're betting on games or not, that there is an equality uh, when it comes to wagering, because that affects eyeballs on the sport, period. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting, playoffs, and more. Head to the website today, BetOnline.net, or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and actions. BetOnline, where the game starts. So after we talk to Isabel, we're going to pay another bill. But first, I want to hear what it was like to be in that room. So Isabel, I'm bringing you in. Let's see. I don't have you on screen. I'm not quite sure what we're doing. Uh, Could be on my end. Oh, she's signing off and back on. Could be the Wi-Fi as well. While we're waiting... Let's go ahead and talk about Built Bar. It is the time of year that many people have given up on their New Year's resolutions, but not me, because I'm eating Built Bars. Have you tried the Puffs? If you haven't, you are missing out on one of the best Built Bars in terms of taste. 
There's cinnamon churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie. All built bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, not that imitation chocolate. It's low calorie, high protein, 130 calories and four net carbs, 17 grams of protein in just about every bar. Coconut, coconut almond, white chocolate cookies and cream if you're into that sort of thing. They're all delicious. So go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 and get 15% off your order. Again, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your order. And tell them Grandma Myrna sent you. So as we await Isabel, let's just get into some of the top of the draft, okay? Because... This was, in many ways, very predictable early, and then things got crazy in a hurry. So, you know, I, I just, I'm, my initial thoughts about Ryan Howard, and I wrote a piece at 538 today about her, but to me, I see this so often. You get the, like, consensus top pick, and then suddenly, she's the consensus top pick for so long that, oh, well, let's talk about what's wrong with her. Let's talk about what's missing. I remember when Sabrina Ionescu was the consensus top pick in 2020. And there were a lot of people who were saying, oh, well, well, suddenly maybe she's not fast enough. Oh, well, you know, maybe she's not able to do the things you need her to do to be a star in the WNBA. And to me, it was just the silliness. It was just pure, you know, people are looking for a further debate. Anyone, by the way, I'm saying this tonight, anyone who tries to tell me it's not Aaliyah Boston next year, between today and the night Aaliyah Boston gets drafted number one next year, I'm not going to take it seriously. I just think it's silly. But, you know, for you, was there any debate in your mind, Ryan Howard, because Alyssa Smith, obviously a very good player, too. So, for me, it was more about who was selecting at number one. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. And before this pick was the Atlanta Dreams, I had a lot of questions about Ryan Howard going to the Mystics. Mm-hmm. I did. Hello. Uh, yeah, we're, Isabella has arrived. Yeah. Isabella Rodriguez is here. We're very excited. But hold on, Jackie, finish that point, and then we're going to get into what it was like to be live. <laughs> I'm going to try my best. Yeah. It's quite loud. All good. So I apologize if it's loud. We'll mute in between statements. All good. Yes. So when the Mystics initially had that number one pick, Mm -hmm. I was very, I was, I was doubtful that they would choose Ryan Howard because of the concerns that she poses. And the Mystics take a very certain type of player. They Mm -hmm. take someone who is very much so a leader, someone who communicates. That's a lot of who is on their team. They take very mature players. And I just wasn't sure if Ryan Howard was who they wanted Mm -hmm. when it came to those different attributes. Well, I mean, Um, it's clear that they didn't. Ultimately, ultimately they made that deal. I am going to turn to Isabel because I think she's trying to fit us in. Isabel, are you at the draft still? Are are, Are you still at the draft? Oh, yes, ah, there we I go. Now I got here. you. Yes. <laughs> so where um, are it you? It is still going on. They're still interviewing Destiny Henderson um, because this is taking forever. <laughs> Boy, Destiny Henderson got absolutely that. She sang too low. That's going to end up. Oh, being absolutely. No, is, it it was. Um, yeah, I think she might have been the only name that folks like 
reacted to in that round. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I imagine largely because she came so late. That was that was a big one. What's your biggest takeaway? This is your first live WNBA draft, right? It is. It is my first live draft. So talk to me. Um, what was that like? Yeah, it was definitely an experience. Um, I think when I like, because I watched like, as much as I can, I could previously like remotely, and obviously watched the virtual draft. Um, but I think the thing that uh, really struck me about this time around was that. Essentially, if you weren't in person live at the event, um, there wasn't really a lot of like attention paid to those names in the second and third round. Um, sorry. Um, there wasn't a lot of um, a lot of attention paid to those names, mm-hmm. which I think was a real disappointment. Um, me, especially because you know we had Kathy Engelbert talking about how much she wants to increase player visibility and like connect more with the fans. And I think draft night, especially for the NBA, is a huge day. Like, it's a, it's a full event. It's like, one of the most looked forward to parts of the NBA season. So, I think, like, and it, and it, it goes past the first round, too. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's a level of respect that folks have for even being drafted. Mm-hmm. The that I think is, is really deserving of a, of a WNBA spot as well. Um, and so, I think that was the most disappointing thing because I think they were reading the names out loud mm-hmm. on the stream um, but in the actual room itself um, the name would just kind of pop up on the screen and almost no one noticed <laughs> um, except for John Staley I think was the only one watching the board in that room. Well, John, John um, Staley doesn't miss a trick but you know the the thing about it to me that's so frustrating and, and this is part of the question I asked Kathy this afternoon uh, when she did mm-hmm. her press conference, which is that if you look at the NBA, and I have my my friend James Herbert go and look. He's a fantastic NBA reporter at CBS Sports. 57 of the 60 players are uh, that were drafted in the NBA draft last year are still with their original teams in some form. The team or the G League team, they're still there. And more than half of the WNBA folks are not going to be there in a month. Right. And so this is the moment in the way that when I cover NWSL drafts, back when that league had nine teams, it was, all right, this play, that was, that was her moment. And I want that moment to matter. So I think, I think the point's really well taken. And so, you know. Yeah. I think that, no, go ahead. And it, it, it goes past just like reading the names as well. I think like, I mean, I felt so bad for Ryan Howard because, like, they started and half the room was paying attention, but half the other room was, like, not at all right. listening to what she had to say and um, and also just, like, you know, recognizing that this is the number one pick in the draft <laughs> that just went. Yeah. And, and so I think, like, generally, like, the WNBA has to decide what the draft event is. Is it a networking event? Is it a party? Is it, like, a a time to celebrate the league. Hmm. It can't be all of those things and also be the most important site for people coming out of the NCAA. Uh, like Let's to that quickly. So this is fascinating reporting that you're doing. It is absolutely fascinating because something that we don't think about is, okay, yay, it's the first in-person draft in, in three years. This is right. going to be so exciting. But I don't 
think anyone thought about the types of repercussions that would occur not having done this in three years. Hmm. Abby Engelbert said this was her first in-person draft. And clearly, she and her staff have to figure out, according to you, what exactly they want this event to be. Because that is so sad that Ryan Howard was addressing a room that wasn't really present and wasn't really paying attention. Mm-hmm. And Howard, I defer to you because you've been to in-person drafts. You know what they're, I don't know if it's supposed to be, but what are they supposed to be? So they really vary. And, you know, I, I've covered drafts that were at Mohegan Sun, and that had the type of scale necessary, right? But you're also in Arkansasville, Connecticut instead of New York City. And so the surrounding events are different, uh, to my mind. And I'm really, Isabel's been right about this. You'll be at the nexttroops.com and I urge you all to read it. Uh, but you know, to my mind, Barclay Center is a damn good place for holding the draft. I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the NBA, but um, you know, they have drafts too. They have the Barclay Center and they're great. And it's size, it's scope, and it, and it's built for it. So, you know, if the WNBA could just get a team, uh, in the league that plays in Barclay Center, I think that would really go a long way. And, um, you know, I, and, and I'm actually being told, excuse me, that the Liberty do play there. And in fact, Josai owns Barclay Center. So yes, that would be the thing to do, I think. To be able to have size and scope. And be able to do it. <laughs> Isabel, the I last. The other, yeah, please. If go I ahead. could describe one other thing too. I think like the other thing that was really noticeable to me just being there for media was that they're like the way that they treated players as they were coming down for interviews was just the most bizarre thing. Because I mean, I nearly ran like headfirst into Kirsten, into Kirsten Bell when she was coming down for her interview like that shouldn't happen <laughs> like she just got picked for the WNBA she should have her own staircase like her own yeah. oh you froze on us a little but but to your, to I mean, your myself, instead of running into me <laughs> right no I, I understand that no. you know to take nothing away from you yeah. but to be sure you know they've done it other places and the the issue of scale has come up you know, we've been uh, in the past smushed together into uh, media scrums. You know, to a certain extent, it's a question of having to make the most of a space. But but I, you crystallized it really well. Like, define what the, what it is, what the goal is, and what it can be. I think that's really important. So I, I just, before I let you go, I just want to know, like, when you remember this moment five years from now, like, what's going to be the thing you think that's, into your head first about being in this WNBA draft? That's a great question. Wow. That is a question. I have no idea. I think, like, I think just the fact that it was clear that they tried mm-hmm. to make this, like, a big event. They There was, a, like, I was ta- um, talking to, um, I don't remember who I was talking to, but I was talking to somebody about the fact that, like, the room looks so professional and it looks like, it looks like there should be like a huge event happening here, mm-hmm. but get down to the nitty gritty. Like the league is still young. The league is still finding its steps and what works and what doesn't. Um, and I think like as much as we want it to grow quickly and we want it to get bigger and we want people to invest in it, like it is going to take time to get these things right. Um, and it might not happen right on the first try, but I have hope that 
it will happen and it will happen better. (laughs) And I love that the league is trying different things. I I think it should. I I don't, I, I don't think we can hold them hostage to expectations without giving them the opportunity to experiment. So Isabel Rodriguez, thank you. I intend to ask you that question again in five years. So I have a feeling we're going to be working together. <laughs> but thank you. Bravo. Excellent reporting and can't wait to edit. So thanks for joining us. I'm going to turn things over now to the person who covered the team that had uh, – Tony, maybe you could tell me this. Am I right? You, you guys had uh, – or the Fever had 17 – no. The, the, the Indiana Fever had 17 of the first 12 picks. Is that true? <laughs> That's, that's close to accurate, correct? They ended up with, uh, one fifth of the picks basically in this draft and one third of the first round. So any, uh, any fraction you can come up with, I'll just say, yeah, that sounds about right. Tony East, who covers us for the, the Indiana Fever for us, does a fantastic job. You, tell me where you are, cause you're not at the draft, but you're at something that looks like, uh, a draft headquarters. I am at the Fever Draft Headquarters. I have snuck over to the court where they will play, except as you can see, there's no actual court right now. It's cement flooring as the stadium goes through construction. But, yeah, the Fever uh, had us in by their war room to do all their media availabilities and and to see what was going on because they've had construction going on in the stadium and the Fever have new facilities down here. So it was very cool to see all that and see Lynn Dunn and Marianne Stanley talk after quite a busy night for the Indiana Fever. Can I just ask... How was Lynn in uh, the post-draft presser, and did she give her rationale for picking Lexi Hull in the first round, who I love, by the way. I just am just shocked. Yeah, Lynn was wonderful. She came in the room, and while they were still setting up her media setup, she said, hot dog, at the top of her lungs, and the whole room shook because of the decibels of it. It was wonderful and super funny. Um, but, yes, yeah, she did actually speak highly of the Lexi Hull pick, both her and Marianne Stanley, and a lot of it, and I think you both know why, has to do with shooting, right? The Fever were the worst three-point shooting team in the league last year. They need guards who can shoot. And this Fever team views Lexi Hall as the best shooter in this draft class. And mm-hmm. they, the, the follow-up point that I think is very clear here is, yeah, no one really thought she'd be she'd be a pick in the, in the top six, obviously. Lynn Dunn said she did not think Lexi Hall would be there at 10 for the Fever to pick her with their next pick. So if they really wanted her, if they viewed her as the best shooter in this draft, they thought they had to pick her at six, so they did. And I, I, like you guys, both thought, wow, you know, that's very high. That's not where anyone thought this would shake out to be. But if they truly view her as this elite shooter who can shake into their rotation and change their, their fortunes from beyond the arc, it makes all the sense in the world to take her when they thought they couldn't get her with their next pick. So before we get to that, I think we ought to talk about it, too, and the extent to which, and, and I'm just curious what you think. Melissa Smith's a player I, I've had the privilege to cover in college. I, I think very highly of her. Is she a number one option that the Indiana Fever can build around? You know, what what did Lynn and Marianne have to say, and what are your thoughts on it? I think they think she can be. Um, she certainly is very polished and mechanical, I would say, uh, with her footwork and skill, and grew a ton throughout the coaching change in Baylor this last year, which is certainly encouraging for someone heading into the pro level now that she's been able to do that. Uh, will she be a high-level number one option? I don't think so. I don't know if she can be necessarily. I think that's going to be really close as more fever staffers walk right by me, so I apologize if I keep looking away from the screen. No, I'm Yes, good. I am good. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Um, but, yeah, I think she can be, and I think the fever are hoping she can be. But the, the theme that made Marianne Stanley and uh, and Lynn Dunn so into her, as a, besides that she's obviously a very skilled and high-level prospect, 
is her energy. They thought her energy was wonderful, and she's a great big in transition, which is pretty rare, and that's what made her such an attractive prospect. And that energy is something that people were kind of lacking on the interior last year. You know, Tierra McCowan, not the speediest player, not the highest energy player in the W for sure. So it's a definitely a big change in style for them in the post, and I think that's where they were really attracted to Nelissa Smith. Now, Another question I have here, and this was the second shocker, because Angsler at, and I will ask about Angsler after I ask about pick number 10, um, because as many of you know, I was very high on Angsler, but I must know, they went with Queen Egbo at 10, another Nikki Collin player. What did they see in Queen as someone who took a little bit longer to adjust to Nikki Collins' new system at Baylor. Yeah, the, the the Lexi Hull pick, I understood it a little bit when they explained the rationale. Mm-hmm. Queen Egbo, I'm still kind of like, okay, uh, I guess I get it. You know, they, like Melissa, like her energy and ability to be mobile and something Marianne Stanley brought up, that I don't, I don't know a ton about Queen Egbo's perimeter defense and her ability to defend away from the basket, but that's something Marianne Stanley likes is her ability to defend pick and rolls and stretch out a tiny bit on the defensive end of the floor as a mobile big. And again, they had no mobility at the big spot last year, like like as low as you can possibly have. So I think that was an appealing skill for them. I don't know if that is the pick you make at 10. Um, but again, if you if you don't think they're going to be there at 20 or you realize Destiny Henderson might be there at 20, maybe you do what you have to do at 10. But uh, I was equally surprised by that one. I'm not necessarily sure how that fit will shake out, especially now that, you know, Betty's on this team, Melissa Smith's on this team, Angsler's on this team. The front court is a little more crowded than it was before draft night started, but they certainly view her as uh, someone who can be an impactful defender and another energy big for this fever team. More, more good players seems like a good thing. I, I think <laughs> that's correct. That was, that was a weakness of the roster last year in terms of. <laughs> when you, when you put it so bluntly, you know, it sounds bad, but it's a hundred percent correct. It's yeah. hard to overstate it. You know, I, I mean, I, and again, I, I, you know, before Jackie asked about Angela, who I, I do have to point out, she was high on Angela early. She she and I uh, were both very high on her, but Jackie is the one who had her in her mock drafts. Top four had her as somebody going high. So so it's just I'm tipping my hat, though I'm not wearing one. Um, but I want to talk about Destiny Henderson because, good Lord, at 20. 20. At 20 to get somebody who, you know, you, you could get hung up in the great game, you know, in the championship game. And that's that's a small sample size. That isn't it to me. That is to me, this is somebody who comes from with a Dawn pedigree. Dawn teaches her players how to play in the pros. This is a player who is elite defensively, who has length at the defensive end. I, I, I you know, as a guard, I, I just, how thrilled were they to get her at 20? How shocked were they to get her at 20? Very. That was the one that they were the most like, wow, we couldn't believe she was available when they picked her because, I don't, I didn't ask Lynn this. This is sort of just me thinking about the fever roster, but like mm-hmm. they had a lot of guards going into this draft. So I thought that would be the position they prioritized yeah. the least. And even with Henderson, she might have to fight a little bit for, for minutes or a roster spot on this mm-hmm. team. There's a ton of guards on the fever already, but when the value's that good at 20, like you said, she's in the room, right? She's one of the right. 12 that they thought maybe would go in the first round. She's in the building. You, you can't pass up that value at 20. And I think she'd be a good culture fit with the fever, aggressive defensive guard. That's something they need. And something else that, you know, this is true for a lot of picks in this draft because there were a lot of South Carolina picks, a lot of Baylor picks, a lot of Louisville picks. But the theme of winners was something Lynn Dunn brought up a lot as well. And we saw Destiny Henderson be certainly a winner in the, in the NCAA tournament this year. And I think that was very appealing to the fever as well. 
I might be the only one who is not surprised by where Destiny Henderson went. Mm. But I do believe that the fever is a very good fit for her because her skill set is what Lynn Dunn built her fever teams on, which I is agree. three and D, which point. is what Henderson can do. Wait, so ja- Jackie, ask Tony about Emily. I don't, I don't want to keep you from that, <laughs> but I, we can't forget to talk about Allie Patberg. So just remind me after this, okay? Oh, so are we doing Emily you and do, then Patberg? You, you do. Yeah. I, I didn't pick four. So probably come before pick thirty-four. Yes. Yes, yes. I know we've gone a bit out of order. We I have. apologize to the listeners, <laughs> but there's just a lot of shock value when it comes to the Indiana Fever. Yeah. So, <laughs> so returning to a pick that I was not shocked by, more just sad about because I really wanted to cover Emily Engsler in New York. That was something that I was so, I was like, if she's still on the board, they have to pick her at five. But I do Indiana, think we get her early, by the way. I think Indiana's coming into town, I think, twice in the first few weeks. So there is that. Okay. that that There's a bright side to that. Um, so what I want to know is, I mean, I've been very high, as Howard said. I've been high on Engsler since December. Mm-hmm. I just believe that her versatility – and her intangibles were a match at the pro level. I'm curious as to what did Lynn and Marianne like so much about her? To, to steal Emily Engstler's vernacular, it was a dope pick. I mean, she used that word probably a hundred times in her presser, which I loved uh, at the actual draft. Um, they loved that she is everything they've been lacking, not just last year, but for years, she is an awesome perimeter defender. I mean, fantastic. I, like you, Jackie, was high on her and thought the Fever might pick her at six. If, if they loved her, pick her at four. That's totally fine. If she's, She is that talented to me. She's a playmaker on both ends of the floor and play high, high level on offense on the perimeter and defense on the perimeter, but is strong enough that if she gets stuck in the post, not a big deal. You know, it, it's just a perfect fit for this roster that has zero impact defenders, fits very well with Melissa Smith, too, which I think was a key part of their strategy with two and four. And, you know, it, it goes back to every intangible that the Fever mentioned. You know, these are the kind of things that, that coaches and GMs love to hype up, right? She's an energy player. She's a winner. All those kind of things are certainly involved. But I just think she's so skilled at the things that the Fever really need for their roster. She's a fantastic defender. She can handle the ball. She can shoot it a little bit. She can pass a little bit. I think she is a perfect connecting player for what this team needs. And I'm bullishly high on her fit with both Kelsey Mitchell, who, as Howard knows, because he asked the question, is a player that the Fever really want to build around, and also Melissa Smith. I think she'll be a great complementary piece for this team. So – I agree with everything you just said there. And then I'm just curious whether you think Allie Patbird has a chance to make this roster, which to me, the well, fact that I, the fact that I'm asking you that question tells me that Lynn's had a successful draft, right? Because that was not a question. I, I mean, how many times have we had that internal conversation? Like, why do you cut a lottery pick? There's not 12 roster spots that you needed for the players that were there. So, you know, the fact that we're now having that conversation, and again, I, I'm coming to this with a big belief in Lynn Dunn and her basketball knowledge, just as I think Marianne Stanley is a, a, you know, a fount of basketball knowledge. I know she is going back 50 years. So all of that said, Allie Patberg, who is a player I have a great deal of affection for, having covered her for all 31 years she played in Indiana, what are her chances <laughs> of making the team? <laughs> that joke was made in the press room as well, Howard, so very good. 
Uh, yeah, as an IU grad, obviously, I was thrilled to see that pick uh, come across the ticker late in the draft. Um, do I think she's a chance to make the team? If she had to beat out three or four players, as we've seen at IU, yeah, Allie Patberg can prove to be that. But uh, the numbers shake out to Howard. She's going to have to beat out 10 players for a roster. But the Fever have 22 women now that will be competing on their training camp roster. Obviously, the number yeah. will be trimmed before camp even starts. But that is a lot of people to be. I mean, they, Destiny Henderson's going to have a really tough time making this roster as I sort through who this team has under contract and who they're going to be signing. So I love Allie Pepperg as much as you do. She was a very bright spot for this Hoosier team that for a second looked like they could push UConn before getting absolutely destroyed in the second half of that game. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think she ultimately has a shot to make the team. But I, of course, would absolutely love it if she did. 21 names? 22. 22. There can only be 15 players in training camp. Yes, they have 15 under contract before the draft and just drafted seven people. So uh, it's going to be a very interesting couple weeks uh, for the Indiana Fever before camp even starts. Make sure you're following all of Tony's coverage. Tony does just such an excellent job covering this team for us at thenexthoops.com. Tony, thank you. You, I don't know how you did it, but you stayed on top of this draft when it was there were so many moving parts for this team. We'll be seeing you again soon. Uh, Locked on women's basketball and every day, obviously, at the next. I want to bring in now, if I can, Matthew Walter, who had, as it turned out, a very similar first round-ish to what Tony uh, East had. You know, Matthew, first of all, thanks for being with us, our Las Vegas Aces reporter. I'm happy to be here. I'm ended up being a really, I think, a very interesting and I think a good night for the Aces going forward and really shows the way that Becky Hammond wants to play, and we'll get into it. But if I had to put two words, well, one word with a hash or a dash in between it on the Aces night, three-point shooting. Yeah. Because that's what they went out and got was a bunch of three-point shooters. So, look, I said to Becky Hammond at her introductory press conference back in, what was it, January, you know, do you intend to shoot more threes? In what ways do you intend to differ from Bill Ambeer? Bill Ambeer was – the very last, possibly ever, WNBA coach who just did not think the three was important. And he had staff members who disagreed with him. But And I think that's because Bill Ambeer played on the bad boy Pistons where they didn't shoot threes to save his life. They yeah, but you know Isaiah could shoot the three, Vinnie Johnson. We don't have to get into the into the MNBA. I'm just saying, like there, there were there were some there were some three point shooters on that team. Bill just Bill had a certain way he was gonna build a team. And again, there were people who said, Oh, you know, what, you know, Bill, what is Bill thinking? I, you know, I was thinking, well, I went 42 and 12 my last two years in the WNBA. So like, Bill Ambeer, God bless him. He was, he was somehow underrated at the end. But, you know, that said, Becky was always going to shoot more threes. And so they were going to have to change their roster in that way. And so clearly, you, you add Natalie Williams as general manager last week, uh, at WNBA source, uh, informed me that she was the one in the chair making trades over this period of time and uh, made that deal uh, to essentially allow Las Vegas three of the first team, first 13 picks. So coming into this, you know, did you see three-point shooting as the number one thing they needed to address? I thought that it was three-point shooting and they needed depth at the wing and the post position. And they, their first two picks, they answered that beautifully mm-hmm. with all of those things. Cause you get Maya Hollingshed who, and I've talked to M. Adler who, about Maya Hollingshed and I watched her play three games at the Pac-12 tournament. She is a gritty, 
grinded out, defensive-oriented kind of player who will get you those extra possessions on the offensive boards, who will play hard and really, really good help defense. She's got toughness. I think that's you know, J.R. Payne's entire program in Colorado. Oh, and by the way, she shoots 39% from three at right. the four position. Right. So it, it's a perfect fit. What's notable about Holinshed, and, and I've had many conversations with M about her when I was working on a mock draft yesterday. M was encouraging me to have the Aces pick her. What's interesting about her, and I think what was encouraging to the Aces, was what you just said. That number uh, from three, actually, she's been working on it throughout her entire collegiate career. It's not been on the exponential increase. And also, Becky Hammond stressed in her opening presser that she values those gritty, grinded-out players almost much more than the most talented player on the draft board. Yeah, and I would say I watched Hollingshead a little bit before I went to the Pac-12 tournament, but at the Pac-12 tournament, she really opened my eyes to she was struggling in the first half of, I think, two of their three games, the ones against uh, Arizona and Stanford. And the second half, especially the third quarter, she just something – she finds a way. She says, I'm not going to give up, even though I'm not having a great offensive night. I'm going to find a way to, to become valuable to my team, whether that's rebounding the ball, which she does an incredible job. She just has such a high motor. And then she hits a couple of threes, and then her whole game changes. She gets confident. She starts being aggressive. And she's a great fit because of her ability to stretch the floor. And she's got more versatility to her. And I think that's a huge advantage. And then I think the Aces got advantage of she played in their backyard for three games at that Pac-12 tournament. So they got to watch her play for 120 minutes and see what she was about. And I think that really helped. And I'm guessing Nikki Fargus sat there and, and who was at the time was president and said, this is the kind of kid that fits exactly what we're looking for and trying to build here in Las Vegas. And then when you look at somebody like Kirsten Bell, you know, what's interesting to me and the reason why – I didn't necessarily – we saw some helium from her at different points, bringing her – I saw some people had her in the top four, you know. And, and again, I, I think people who are hostile about mock drafts, I don't – you know, this is supposed to be a fun exercise. Everyone's trying their best and getting the best information they have. But the yeah. reason I never really bought it was, you know, Bell was not a great defender at the college level, and she's not a great three-point shooter. She's a great scorer. But she's somewhere around 30% from three, if memory serves, the last couple of years of her career. What do you think the Aces do with her? What is she on this Aces team? Well, and it's tough because at Florida Gulf Coast, she was a post player because that's not a very big league. The Atlantic Sun is – I worked in it briefly. It's not a big league. Mm -hmm. It's not a tall league. It's nothing like, you know, the SEC, the ATC in that area. But – Kirsten Bell, when she was at Ohio State, was playing at the three. And I think I see Kirsten Bell come to the WNBA and playing out on the perimeter. Hmm. She doesn't need to play. She can play in the post if they want to run sets to post her up against smaller guards, but she is not going to be playing naturally out of the post. She And especially with, I think, just this is based on looking at the Aces roster, they're going to play four round one. Hmm. I think they put Asia Wilson in the middle, and we're going to play a four round one style of offense. And Kirsten Bell then can play out on the perimeter and be, you know, an aggressive attacking kind of player, getting to the shots that she likes. And, yeah, she's not a great three-point shooter, but in the WNBA, she just needs to be able to make defenses respect it so they guard her out to the three-point line. And I think it's going to help her on defense that she doesn't have to guard the post. She has to guard other players of her size. 
And the Aces needed wing depth. They had one wing on their roster, Jack Young. And that's why in my mock, I had them taking Ray Burrell, just because they needed more people who play that sort of three, four position, because all of their post players are more posts and all of their guards are more guards. They didn't really have a bunch of those tweeners like a Jack Young, like a Kirsten Bell. So I think she's a great fit. She can go learn from somebody who's a little bit of a wing, but more of a post in Dierica Hamby, yep. who likes to shoot the three, but isn't a great three-point shooter. And I think is a good, not comp, but a good person for Kirsten Bell to learn from because they have similar styles of how they want to play with their body size and how much they want to sort of shoot the three. She'll be a great mentor. Kirsten Bell also moves really well off the ball. She has really good instincts off the ball. And I think that's going to help the Aces spectacularly. And, And this was brought up in Kirsten Bell's press conference and I think is the definition of it's a small world. What award did Kirsten Bell win two years in a row? The Becky Hammond Mid-Major Player yes. of the Year Award. Uh, Who is going to be her new head coach? Becky Hammond. If I that isn't it. like stars aligned, stuff had mm. to happen, I don't know what is. It, it is a fascinating small corner of the world that we've got here. I I, 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 I do love that. I would be remiss not to talk about the 13th pick before uh, we let you go. And, you know, I, I know effectively it's the second round, but essentially it's the first round. Yeah, and Kayla Pointer, just to be able to to bring her in, somebody, you know, as a defense first point guard, in a lot of ways, interestingly, almost feels like a lame beer pick, right? But obviously she's able to get to the able to get to the rim. She's able to shoot the three. It's an interesting thing that she dropped a 13 given – how hard it is to find good point guard play in this league, don't you think? I would agree, and I think part of the reason is if you look at her numbers, she's not an efficient scorer. She is a high-volume, take-a-lot-of-shots kind of scorer, which, like you said, she's a great defender. And the thing to me, because I hadn't watched a lot of her play when I started to look at her, she had a triple-double this year. She put up 16, 11, and 10 against Ole Miss. So she has the ability to do a lot of things. And, again, it fills a need for the Aces because they really don't have a backup point guard behind Chelsea Gray. Raquana Williams is more of a two guard. Uh, Kelsey Plum is obviously a two. They just cut Destiny Slocum. So I think Kayla Pointer is a great fit. I think their first three picks are all just great fits because they fill backup positions the Aces needed on their roster. Mm -hmm. They fill space because the Aces were down to now with the cutting of Slocum 10 players on their roster. So mm-hmm. all five of their draft picks could make the ro- could could find a way onto the roster with some mobility and some movement, but they all are going to be in training camp because of the fact that they had you know five spots available. So I think you look at it and Pointer can go in and say, okay, I need to go be the backup point guard. I need to play really good defense, which is a lot of what brings people off the bench. Mm-hmm. But her ability to score like Kirsten Bell in a multitude of ways, she has a ton of abilities, ball handling moves in her bag that she can pull out to get to the basket. And like you said, she loves to get to the basket and wants to do that more, I think, than anything else. Needs to improve on her free throw shooting, but is a great, another great fit. I do really quickly just want to touch on Asia Shepard because three-point shooter, three-point shooter, three-point shooter. Mm -hmm. I know Tony talked about they were the worst three-point shooting percentage team. The Aces took the least made threes in the league last year. Like three-point shooting clearly was – like, we need to fill some people who can shoot the ball because Becky Hammond comes from the NBA where Steph Curry, who plays for my favorite NBA team, has made the world about three-point shooting. Yeah. So I think she realized we can't be playing this old-style basketball. We need to go out and get people who can shoot the three. 
Asia Shepard might have been the best shooter in this draft, just her capability to shoot the three. I don't know what else she brings where she might be able to make the roster, but because she knocked down almost 100 threes last year, that's a huge help to an Aces team that, again, last in the WNBA in three-pointers made last year. I mean, I'm just saying, you, you know, Bill Embiid, 42-12 and 12 with that style, nobody else would be able to win with that style, other than at the collegiate level, Kim Mulkey. But they are, yes. you know, each each of them are one of a kind in their own way. And I definitely think we will see an incredible – and I can't wait to go watch a couple games and just see how drastically different the offense looks. Because I oh. think Becky has talked about it, and it will be interesting to see what the players say, but – I expect we're going to see a night and day. They're going to push the pace. They're going to want to get down the floor quickly, transition kind of baskets. And I think she's going to bring some of what she's learned. And if you look at who the two people she's brought onto her roster or coaching staff are, they're people who coach in that NBA. And I think she's going to bring some of that NBA stuff over to the W. And I think it's going to work just because I think she's just such a got that mind that she's going to make the players want to enjoy playing offense. And I think that's going to help now in pushing the pace and playing a four-round one style. So, oh, you're correct. But I also want to point out that the Aces, I believe, in 2021 were number one when it came to pace. I was looking at those pace numbers. So Bill did have them pushing it in transition. He did, um, which sounds strange because of the fact that they had Liz Cambage and Asia Wilson. But that team moved quickly because of who the guards were in Chelsea Gray and um, Kelsey Plum. But I think to your point, they become even, I guess, quicker, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that helps because you're not running down in Cambage as your five. Wilson is your five who's more athletic and allows you to run the floor and do different things on offense because you don't have to play a two-post lineup where somebody's got to be high and somebody's got to be low. So before we let you go, just the final thing, you're talking about that offense. What do you think it will mean for Asia Wilson, who's never played in an offense like that, really in college or in the pros? I think Asia Wilson is the kind of player that could fit in any offense. I think she's just such that kind of player where um, she can find a way to score in whatever you're doing offensively because – She's so talented and can play down on the low post and up in the high post. And the way she's grown and she's starting to shoot the mid-range a little more, and we all see the videos, if she'll shoot the three, we'll see with Becky as the coach now. But I think she'll just fit. She's, I mean, she's an MVP for a reason. You don't stop being an MVP because a coach changes. I think you find a way to be, you know, better because you're going to find a way to fit your game into what they're trying to do. And I think she's so receptive to that kind of thing. And, you know, she signed her, her return after Becky became coach. And I think if she wasn't confident in where they were going as with fit, she wouldn't have decided to come back. I, I, I think, A, I agree with that, but I think to step beyond that, I think we're going to see another level of Asia Wilson we haven't seen. I, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm really encouraged. I'm really excited about it. Matthew Walter, you've done great work for us about the Pac-12, about the WCC. We're so glad you're here. And we're so yeah, I do want I do want to say yes, for the Pac-12 please. that always gets hit on for being a conference nobody watches three picks in the top ten. Man, you can't listen. I've given up too much sleep. You people out west, you you have the wrong time zone, use the wrong clocks, but I stay up because that is a conference worth watching. And so I'll do it. I'll do it. I will sacrifice my sleep 
to be able to watch the Pac-12. And so you, you do not have to sell me. We should go, but David Yapowitz is here, and I just want to say hi. We're going to tease a future show, because Dave showed. I want to say hello. So, Dave, hi. You talked hey. to Garrett Fisher, right? Yeah, yeah. Just wrapped up our post-draft uh, call. We're going to talk this week about it, because we are, and I keep telling people this, we're every weekday. So we get to do this every weekday. So give me one teaser of what you got out of Derek Fisher, and then we're going to record tomorrow. Um, yeah, no, he's he's pretty excited about uh, the group that they drafted, um, all four players. Um, I think, you know, one in particular that's a little bit interesting is um, Amy Atwell from Hawaii, yeah. um, a player, you know, that I'm real familiar with uh, over the past couple of years. Um, but no, yeah, he was, uh, definitely excited about this group and, um, you know, they, it's, it's tough with, with such few roster spots, but you know, the way he, he kind of sounded was that, you know, they'll have every opportunity to, to make this roster. All right. We have a lot more to talk about with that, but we're, <laughs> we're way over time. I'm so grateful, uh, to everyone who joined us on the show tonight. Uh, Jonathan Kolb and Sandy Brundello did a wonderful job. Isabel Rodriguez reporting live from the draft. Tony East coming to us live from Indiana Fever headquarters. Matthew Walter uh, and David Yapkowitz, you know, just great stuff. I'm just, we'll get into more of it. And, of course, the great Jackie Powell, who is just always a pleasure. To talk to oh, her. Howard, it was an honor to sort of co-host this. It was it, it was delightful. If if I had to get COVID with anybody, let it you know, I I can't think of somebody who I was more fortunate to spend time with ahead of getting COVID. We'll put it that way. All right. Mm-hmm. So thank you all, everyone. Make sure you're following us at Locked On WBB at the next hoops. Make sure you're reading us at thenexthoops.com. Sign up for our emails. We write all the time. We have over 100 reported pieces every month. And I'm really excited to be able to get into this. Howard, quick question. How much does it cost to sign up for the emails? Funny you should say that. Well, so emails are free to sign up for. However, if you want to become a paid subscriber, all, all the revenue goes to our staff. All of it. All of us. We can't stop. Look at us. We can't stop talking about women's basketball. And you can now get it for twenty four ninety nine off. In other words, League Pass will be on us. Get all the coverage and all the games. Sign up for a year for the next. So until next time, which will be tomorrow, I am Howard Magdal. Thank you on behalf of everyone at the next. Wishing you a wonderful night. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.